Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Family, um, as, as we grow old, do you ever find yourself or older? I was reproved last night that many are older than I, so I shouldn't say that I'm becoming old. As you become older, do you ever look backwards and say, you know, I wish I hadn't have done that? Uh, do you ever look back and say, you know, I, I, I wish I did that when I was younger? And family, I have to be, be fair with you, just as we look at, at what does it mean to be a citizen, um, that was not something that was really instilled in me, the, the recognition that I'm an American citizen. Uh, I came out of the Vietnam era. My dad said, if they, they ask you, go. If they don't, don't go. And when your draft numbers are in the high 200s, you just simply make plans for the future. And then it goes on. And then all of a sudden, you, you go on a visit or a vacation, and I arrive in Honolulu and wanting to just appreciate history. I walk out onto the deck of the Arizona. And all of a sudden, the impact of what it means to be a citizen of America is gripping. As you sit down and, and you see the outline of, of now this, this sideways boat as it lays down in the harbor, and you see the, the oil still bubbling up, you recognize that there are men entrapped in, in within the iron below that will stay there forever. You, you walk out and you see the listed names, and, and you are moved by them. You walk out to Punchbowl, and you see cross after cross after cross after cross after cross after cross for acres. And you realize that men and women gave up their lives so that I may know citizenship. Now, we all, we all say freedom often. And I believe that that is a superficial idea. Because our freedom is based on one incredible privilege. Citizenship. You are not free without citizenship. And citizenship needs heritage to teach you. You see, you need the stories. And that was one of the, the great privileges of coming here in my early years as pastor because I was able to meet men and women who had gone through World War II and Korea, who went through the Cuban Missile Crisis, and, and they were able to share stories of what it was like to be at Pearl Harbor and pull men out of, out of the, the muck and mire of what was that harbor that day, of, of what it meant to be near the ship of the, of the lead attack from Russia to Cuba and what that moment meant like. You see, and all of a sudden, citizenship means something. And I want to suggest to you today, Christianity is, is no different. For you to understand your freedom in Christ, you have to understand the relationship of citizenship. 
If you don't understand that you walk with the Most High God who is with you, that, 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 that He is, is behind the scenes caring for you, watching over you, being with you, if your conversation and your thought isn't on that active engagement and you see much of the Bible and you see much of what you read as nothing more than theological history, you miss what it means to enter into worship. And so it's important as we come to, to books like our study in Mark is to recognize that we have a chance to see as the disciples embraced the awareness of what it meant to walk with God as they did with God the Son, Jesus Christ. You see, the, the disciples are being confronted with what they think it means to know the living God. But you see, in their lives, Judaism was just tradition. Judaism was just the learning of Old Testament truth. Judaism wasn't a walk with the Most High God. And now they're confronted with a daily opportunity of seeing God in Jesus Christ work on a daily basis. And they've just seen him feed 5,000. He whisks them in a boat and sends them out to what will become an impending storm. And family, what I want you to do is I want you to see this morning what it is to walk with that living God. Because I want to remind you today, you walk with him on a 24-hour-a-day privilege that I don't want us to forget. So join with me in Mark chapter 6 as we read together verses 45 through 52. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethesda, or Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astonished. Now notice, if you will, verse 52, juxtaposed to being utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Family, I am so glad that we have the disciples in Scripture. They are a composite of every one of us here in, in, in the auditorium today. We don't change fast enough. We don't learn after repeated lessons. And the ones we do learn, we often have to relearn. 
Now, again, I'm not asking for anybody to raise their hand, but how many times have, have you relearned a lesson that God had taught you of His grace and goodness earlier in your life? And then all of a sudden, you were confronted with it fresh again, and you began to panic. And God retaught you some of the very principles. And we see that in the disciples over and over again. So that even at the feet of Jesus, even in front of the Son of God, humanity just doesn't have the ability to learn with everlasting impact. And so what I want you to see today is that the text reminds us of Jesus' work in the disciples' lives to create in them his apostles. That technique also disciples us into his glory givers and image bearers. And that work is still in effect. So I want to see how, how God approaches this work in these seven verses this morning. And I want you to understand, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we just won't learn. But on our part, just like feeding the 5,000, we supply what we can. And I want you to see how God works behind as He walks with us day by day. I want you to notice first, God protects us from our dreams and desires. Some of you are, are country fans. And as you see what I'm about to say unfold, you'll think I'm rehashing the old Garth Brooks song, Unanswered Prayers. There's a line in that song that says some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Now, in fairness, that's right theology. Concluding the supernatural feeding of the 5,000, the flavor of Mark um, is the idea that Jesus pushed them into the boat. I want you to notice, as we see in verse 45, it says, immediately Jesus escorts them down into the boat and sends them away and tells them, I'll meet you in Bethsaida. And family, he leaves himself to singularly dismiss the crowd. Why? Why? Walk with me. John is going to tell us that the crowd really had a desire. They were there to try to talk Jesus Christ into a plan of messianic dynasty. You come, you be the Messiah. This is the you're the prophet of Daniel or of of Deuteronomy chapter 13. You are that one we've been waiting for. We want you to come. And Jesus Christ, I believe knowing the propensity of the disciples pushes them into a boat so they are not privy of joining in to the dialogue of what may sideline them. You see, family, these ideas are already a weak spot in the thinking of the disciples. 
If I took you to Matthew chapter 19, verse 27 this morning, all of chapter 19 talks a very familiar story of the, the rich man, the rich young ruler who wants to get to heaven. He says, I've obeyed all of the Ten Commandments. What do I need to do? And Jesus says, give all your money away and come and follow me. And then the dialogue continues that it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye of the needle than to enter the kingdom of heaven. I want you to hear Peter's words. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything to follow you. What then will we have? And the idea is, is hey, Lord, if it's tough for them to get into the kingdom, we've given it all up. We're here as the inner circle. We're on your team. What's waiting for us? All right, what, what are we going to get when we go to the kingdom? And obviously my favorite of all of this pettiness of what it's like to be in the kingdom and how much power am I going to get in the kingdom, we have, Anna, we have James and John who go and ask mommy to ask Jesus. And we hear her words in chapter 20 of Matthew, verse 21, say that these two sons of mine are to sit on your right hand and one on your left in the kingdom. So family, I want to I share with you, he sends them away immediately because he does not want them infected anymore with this displaced nationalism. And so I want to suggest to you, what areas of life have not materialized for you that would have derailed your spiritual life, but they were your dreams and visions? How many times can you look back and, and think of those, those transition moments of your life that could have gone one way or gone the other way, and in going the way that they did, they changed your life? I'm going to suggest to you, I, I prayed for hours. Kathy joined me for hours. Lord, give us our son. Our son passed away. But in doing so, it opened up a, a ministry eyesight and, and a, a validation of where we were going and what we were going to do that is unprecedented. So all of a sudden, I, I am privy, Kathy and I are privy to how other people hurt in moments when we would not have embraced that. There, there's a sense of comfort of being in a hospital or at least a lack of intimidation to be in a hospital, to sit down and, and talk and have that rough conversation with a doctor so that when we're in that moment, it becomes an easier moment. The experience that we faced prepared us for the next level. God walked us through it. He didn't give us our dreams and desires. I wanted my son. God had a different plan. How many times in your life have you experienced that same thing? What you prayed for wasn't given. What you received ended up transforming your life in a way that brought you more and closer into the image of His Son. Family, what happened? It might have been a job that didn't materialize. 
It might have been that potential perfect match that five years later you saw the train wreck of that individual's life and you went, well, Lord, thank you for preserving me. Family, it might even be the evaluation of our face and form. What you think that you look like in the mirror. What if God utilized exactly what you look like to be the greatest image of himself that he could allow to work through and in you? What events happened in your life that had lifelong impact? What didn't happen that could have changed everything? Family, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is engaged in your life intimately to mature us. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew. Family, do you really think that 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 sits individually and statically with just your salvation? That he doesn't foreknow who you are? That he's not aware in his omniscience exactly the needs that you have, the thought processes, the, the, the personality that you are? It goes on to simply say, for those he foreknew, he also predestined. The life that you have, he's already partnered with you and continues to partner with you to be conformed to the image of his son. He's doing so so that you look the most like the Savior. And he has utilized life experience to bring that about in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So I want to suggest to you today that God, as he did with those, those 12 men, protecting them from their own pitfalls, their dreams and desires, their hopes, he protected you and I in a variety of ways that allow us to mature, seeing him and allowing us to be more conformed to the image of his son. Secondly, I'm hoping that you'll see with, within this text that, that we are supported by Jesus. Too many times I, I'm convinced that, that we see uh, a, a one-way relationship with Jesus. We, we see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. We see Jesus possibly mediating when we, when we communicate a prayer we see him somehow whispering over to the Father. And, and we see this as a one-way thing. I do my thing. I communicate to the one sitting on the right hand of the Father. And it, it goes forth. I want to suggest to you a much more active plan. Having dismissed the crowd, our, our text is going to lay before us the idea that Jesus retreats into the hills to pray. Now, Jesus has a lot to pray about. And if we've looked at, at Mark and we, we see what's going on in the other Gospels up to this point, there, there's, there's a lot going on. The scribes and the Pharisees are beginning to turn on Jesus. Certainly that's something I'd want to pray about. 
His family has already accused him of being nuts. And so I would want to pray for the restoration of that. We've seen in, in John the Baptist, Herod Antipas is already beginning to turn and looking at Jesus as being, as being part of this, this conspiracy against him. So we're seeing the political concerns of the area now beginning to turn on Jesus Christ. And we see this group, this 5,000, wishing him to distract his priorities of going to the cross with a messianic fervor. But let me suggest to you even more. He's praying for his disciples. And I want to suggest to you that because we only have in the book of Mark three times that Jesus Christ is praying. The first is in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Jesus is just about ready to go on his first preaching tour, if you will, throughout the region of Galilee. He's already called the disciples. And now, with the disciples going with him, we find him alone in prayer at night. In doing so, the disciples who cannot find him begin to search for him, find him, and he looks down and says, let's go. So in this transition moment, he's already had one style of ministry. He began to preach there in Capernaum. He now begins to take the disciples on the trip. We find him praying. We find him praying here in chapter 6. In chapter 6, he begins to pray not only as the distraction to the cross is in front of him, he also prays, I believe, for the disciples not to be distracted. He offered them the reality of who he was in feeding of the 5,000. He offered them the lesson of the loaves. And before we go on, let me remind you of the lesson of the loaves. Put on your thinking cap. If someone takes five loaves and two fishes and feeds more than 5,000 people with them, who has the power to do that? Who has the power to do that? Who can take a happy meal and satisfy that many people? Only God. God creatively multiplies five loaves and two fishes, not only to satisfy, but to bring us leftovers. And so family, never again should the disciples ever debate who's in front of them. Never again should they have a problem. And so as we see the close of the text, their hearts are hardened. I want you to understand they've already seen paralyzed man be cured. They've already seen dead people rise. 
They've already seen exorcisms. They've already seen healings. They've all, they've seen all of it. Now they've seen one more in the feeding of the 5,000, and it's just one more thing that just shows, oh, that's just Jesus. And yet the loaves, according to the mind of the Savior, are significant. This is me. This is me. And I am God. So family, we see him praying for the disciples to understand their mission. I want you to know, understand thirdly, in Mark 14, verses 38, we find him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And certainly we, we know the core prayer. The core prayer is he's praying to the Father. If there was any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will thine be done. Family, again, being alone, he left Peter, James, and John here the Bible tells us a stone's throw away. He's by himself. He now walks back to them. Listen to what he says. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So family, I want to ask you a question. Do you really think that he's over here praying by himself, for himself? And then he walks back here and says, hey, wait a second, guys. I'm over there praying for me. I, I, I want you to be gathering here and you pray for you. Do you really think that that's what's happening? Jesus is over here praying that they don't enter into temptation. He's already said in John chapter 13 to Peter that Satan wants to sift you like wheat. We already see that dynamic. And I want to suggest to you today, in light of his concern, he's concerned about them. God the Son is actively seeking our successes also. We see that first in the, illusion, the illustration of John chapter 17. We, know, we call that the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ, who just before the cross begins to pray. But I want you to hear verse 20. He says this, I do not ask for these only. In other words, I don't ask that my prayers are answered about these, these 11 guys around me. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. So family, as the disciples now preach to the next generation... Jesus is recognizing those that will respond to the gospel from their ministry, of which we are a direct descent. Jesus is praying for us here. Jesus is praying for us here, that they will be all, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, family, either that is a simple, superficial, generalized prayer as he walks to the cross, or he's actually praying meaningfully that you and I recognize the importance of what it means to be a family. 
Believers are to recognize the unifying reality of the cross. You see, the very Jesus who merged Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot into a workable team that were united with one another also expects us to carry ourselves in the same joint submission. And I want to suggest to you that that often is the case. How often do you find at work that you immediately come into camaraderie or camaraderie when you find somebody who's a Christ follower? And immediately there's a recognition. Immediately there's an awareness. You may not all have the same theological step, but man, there's an appreciation. Man, here's, here's a brother. Here's a sister who walks with me. You see, Jesus is, is active and engaged. Let me share with you again Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. The Savior actively is aware of our life experiences. Now listen, for we do not have, have, have a working, active relationship. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? Because we have an active relationship with the high priest who's been tempted, knows what we go through, and is engaged in what we're going through now. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Family, we have someone who walks with us. I want you to notice, thirdly, Jesus puts himself in our path. You know, if, if I have a friend who provides the relationship, if I have a Savior who provides the relationship that the knowing high priest of Hebrews shares, I want him to be around. I want him to see me. I want him to, 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 to recognize. And, and sometimes when I'm too unaware, when I'm, when I'm stupid, when I'm a knucklehead, I want him to be proactive. And what we find here is we have a, a Savior who puts himself in our path. And as we see the text of Scripture, we find they in trouble, the disciples don't know what to do, and Jesus just happens to walk by. Now, please picture, if you will, just a little visualization. Picture a lake that is 13 miles wide and 20-some miles long. What's the chances of two things showing up in visual awareness in the middle of the night to be close enough to be seen? All right? So do you think that this is somehow cosmic happenstance? All right? Jesus puts himself in this position. He puts himself for them to go, help, we don't have it, we can't do this. So I want to, again, turn that wonderful minds of ours. Doesn't it seem that whenever the disciples are separated from Jesus, they're in trouble? 
Not only are they in trouble, follow through. He uses the Sea of Galilee to teach them of the inability of themselves to fix their life problems. You say, well, a second, wait a second, Pete, where are you going with this? Let me ask you a question. What is the four professional men, what is their profession? What are they known for being? Say that a little louder. Fishermen. How long have they been on the Sea of Galilee uniquely? Their entire careers. All right? Do you not think that they have been out in the ocean during a storm on many occasions? And that this one, at this time, at this moment, is insurmountable for them? Four professionals who've made a career out of making it on the Sea of Galilee with all of the experience that they have in life, can't make it. And we find them screaming to Jesus. We find a storm too strong and waves too high, and Jesus happens to walk by. Jesus is walking on a storm in which they cannot row successfully. Now again, I always want to encourage you, please have your thinking caps on. Use your delightful imagination. You who have been out in the ocean, please can you imagine Jesus on the wave and he rides the crest and then the bowl and Jesus disappears for a moment from their sight, rising above the crest to go to the bowl. And he's doing so without stumbling. This isn't a trip for him. He's walking quite comfortably. And up and down as he disappears from sight and he comes back into sight. Can you imagine their reaction? Now again, just so that you understand where we're heading, who is the only one capable of taking five loaves and two fish and feeding 5,000 plus people? God. Who's the only one capable of walking on water in such a way that it is a comfortable place for him to be? God. And so we find in Jesus Christ the only answer. Jesus Christ Christ is walking where only God can walk. And I want you to know it is reinforced with the three words, it is I. When Jesus walks in and says, it is I, he is using a biblical phrase that we see throughout the Bible. In Greek, if I'm going to transpose it, E G. Oh, ego, like the waffle. Ego, E-G-O, A-me, E-I-M-I. We find it in the burning bush in Exodus. When Moses says, who should I say is the one talking to me? What's his name? He says, you tell him it is I. 
Yahweh. In John chapter 8, Jesus will look to his detractors and he'll say, before Abraham was, I am ego eimi. My favorite, John 18, 6. When Jesus says, who do you seek? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus will respond, ego eimi, I am. I love chapter 18. I will always tell you it when I use it as an illustration. The force that was going to arrest him that night numbered more than 500 men. It was a Roman cohort. The Bible says that they all went backwards like dominoes at the proclamation of Ego Eimi. Now, if somebody can knock me down simply by saying Ego Eimi, you need to understand I'm going to go home and watch Gilligan's Island reruns for the rest of the night. I am not going to try to tie that man up. And we find it here. And the moment he gets in and proclaims, I am, it is I, what we find is that the storm ceases. And they are utterly astonished. Family, again, remember, utterly astonished is four professional fishermen. They are stunned. Family, we don't have Jesus to walk by us today. But we have the Holy Spirit who uses God's Word, who brings godly men and women into our lives. And He uses them and our life experiences to remind us that God is still in our path. God is still around supervising equipping and challenging us to be image bearers, reflectors of his glory. Let me show you one last. We never fully know Christ. Verse 49 tells us that they thought the image of Jesus was a ghost. So remember, they'd witnessed healings, exorcisms, creative feedings, yet Jesus walking on water overwhelmed their minds. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't end their fear until Jesus was safely in the boat. And again, what I said earlier, don't you find them in trouble whenever Jesus isn't with them? What happens every time we find Jesus coming back in relationship with them? They're calm. What does that tell us? Walking on the water left them utterly astonished. But by now, they should have been on beyond astonishment. They had seen the 5,000 fed. Mark's idea here through the Holy Spirit is that that should have been sufficient for them to know who they were in the presence of. But the feeding of the 5,000 that should have revealed it just continued to harden their heart. It's just Jesus. So family, I want to suggest to you, you and I in our finite minds will spend all of eternity learning more about our Savior. If He truly is omniscient and omnipotent, if He truly is the sovereign God that we, we, we identify Him to be, and He is we will never be able 
to fully grasp all of the engineering and the greatness and the thoughts that he will have in front of us. And we will always be utterly astonished. First Peter, talking about the angels, says of this in chapter 1, verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, talking about the Old Testament writers, in things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. As they taught the Old Testament, the Old Testament fully didn't realize. The, the New Testament writers proclaimed the truth. Now listen to this. Things into which angels long to look. Family, our salvation and our redemption couldn't be figured out. It couldn't be grasped by angels who are considered smarter than you and I, and they are continuing even now to try to unwrap what it means for a God of very gods to be gracious to mankind like you and I, and they can't figure it out. You and I will always grow from this day forth in an ever-awareness. And I want you to understand, I don't want Jesus to ever, ever be so second nature to us that we don't sit in awe, that we are given privilege to walk with the Almighty God, that that Almighty God answers prayers, sometimes the silly ones, sometimes to say no when it's going to be bad for us, sometimes to put Himself in the, in the pathway so that we rely on Him as we should, sometimes to simply show His greatness, but we don't want that greatness to be so stale that it's routine and has lost its vitality. We will ever, ever be in wonder of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us maintain that wonder. So family, as you see the, the, the story, don't let the story become something like a children's book. You read to put the kids to bed. Let it be a reminder to you and to me that Jesus Christ is always watching, always there, always walking with us, so that we do not lose the reminder that our citizenship is in heaven. And we find that citizenship to be wonderful and refreshing. Father in heaven, I'd ask that you'd watch over. Dear God, as we have a chance to walk through the Gospels, we have a chance to see how the very Son of God, Jesus Christ, interacted with His followers. And dear God, it was one in which He constantly taught and discipled them how great and wonderful He was and how reliant they need to be upon Him. Father, may we take, we may take that truth that it's always something in which we're reliant on. Father, we have our own moment that goes back. We have stones in the front of our church, our own Ebenezer, to be, remi to be reminded that forever we know our God watched over. As you supplied finances month by month by month to do something that we could not have done. 
And so, Father in heaven, I would pray that you would be with us, always making us mindful of your, your presence, your care, and your work within us that we reflect the image of the Most High God. Watch over now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.